Uh, I do want to just take a moment and also say thanks to many of you. And um, uh, obviously, uh, many of you are here today specifically to celebrate those who uh, serve us in this community. And uh, as many of you know, I, I am the chaplain for the Clemson Police Department as well, which is something that I love being able to do. I love being able to get to know the officers. I will tell you, there are some who get to serve in the chaplain role, and truthfully, their role is more intended to help the community. Uh, for me, I, I see my role as being there for the officers and those who they see things that the rest of us would never want to see. And uh, same thing goes for the the firefighters and EMS folks, uh, they see things that nobody else would ever want to see. And sometimes it's beneficial just to be able to talk with someone else, to be able to process things uh, together. So it is a privilege for us to have you with us today, to uh, be able to, to see the things that you see, to know that someone loves you and appreciates you is a big deal. Um, I am very grateful for the police, and uh, so often I get to do ride-alongs, and um, typically I'll begin with a question, uh, and the question is simply, why did you become a police officer? And for some of them, they joke about wanting to be able to drive fast, of course, because that's the way, the way the rest of us think too. Um, but somewhere along the way, it typically will also come back to the fact that uh, they just wanted to make a difference in people's lives. They wanted to, uh, to bless others. They wanted to help people. They love this community. Uh, and I believe that that is true, not just of the police, but the firefighters and the EMS. Uh, and I want to take a moment, and this is a very random uh, moment here to uh, express appreciation, um, because I didn't know that it was coming. Last night I was out cutting my grass, and as I was cutting my grass, a neighbor's daughter came running over and asked for help. And I came, went, ran over to their house, and her dad, my neighbor, uh, was apparently having a stroke. He had become unresponsive, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot that we could do at that point. You could already hear the sirens. It took less than five minutes. Now, we live about a mile or so from the, the fire department. Uh, the central fire department responded immediately, and they were so supportive and encouraging and compassionate. Uh, we got my neighbor into the uh, ambulance, and they took him up to Greenville Memorial. I went back and finished cutting my grass. Now, it's not that I didn't care, but I needed to get it done. So I went back and finished cutting my grass, and then I drove up to the hospital. And who would be sitting with the family still but the very same EMT that had been at the house just a half hour, 45 minutes earlier? The love and compassion that was displayed by the Central Fire Department and the EMTs is amazing. And I cannot say thank you enough for the work that they did last night. That's one example, but you know it happens every day of the year. The police officers, firefighters, and EMS in this community are such an incredible blessing to this community, and we should be able to express our appreciation anytime you see them. So it's nice we've already done it here today, but when you see them out there and they're doing something, go out of the way to just say thanks. We live in a culture when we see an officer doing something to... Uh, to arrest somebody or to deal with someone who's challenging. In our culture, our first thought is to pull out the cell phone real quick so maybe we can get our 15 minutes of social media fame if they do something that they're not supposed to do. Maybe what we ought to be doing is saying thank you 
for what you do. Thank you for your love and your support. Thank you for the incredible sacrifice that you give at all hours of the morning, regardless of what else may be going on in your life. Thank you for being willing to serve in this community the way that you do. Um, It's funny to some people, they would see uh, what you do as being nothing more than a job, but I would suggest that for those of you who serve in that capacity, it's not a job, it's much more of a calling. Um, Not everybody is cut out for what you do, and in some ways, what you could say is that you have been set apart specifically for this job, this ministry, this career. You were created for this purpose. Thank you for answering that call on your life. You know, the Bible talks about being set apart for a specific purpose. In fact, it's talked about often, but perhaps the clearest and most simple example of this is found in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. I had Richard share it just a few minutes ago, but I want to read it again with you. But I want to give you a little background to the verse before I read it again. It comes at a point in transition for the people of God. The Israelites have been traveling for 40 years. They had been previously, they had been in Egypt as slaves, and they've traveled for 40 years trying to get to this promised land where God would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses had led them throughout this journey and did a fantastic job, but at some point you got to get a little frustrated. You got to begin to wonder is God ever going to get us where we were supposed to be going? Now, they remembered the amazing things that God had done. In Egypt, they were oppressed. It was a difficult time for them. They basically didn't have much of anything. They, ser- they lived to serve other people. God delivers them through some very amazing events. We talk about the 10 plagues that come upon the people of Egypt, and obviously at some point it's enough where the Israelites are basically run out of town, which is really what they want. In fact, as they leave, the Israelites fleece the Egyptian people. They take their gold and their silver and their jewels and everything. Man, God did some amazing things. They get out of Egypt and the Egyptian armies begin to pursue them. And as they pursue, God allows the Israelites to pass through the Red Sea completely on dry ground. And as the Egyptians try to follow, they are swallowed up. That's an amazing thing. Along the way, God would do amazing things, providing food and water, sometimes through manna, which was this mysterious bread-like substance that would appear every morning, water that would flow out of rocks and different places you never would have even imagined. God did amazing things. But it's been a while. Here they are. They're still seeking the promised land. Now Joshua is leading the people, and as he prepares to lead them, he addresses them in Joshua 3, 5, and this is what he says. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The first thing I want to point out is, what are we talking about when we use the word consecrate. It's not a term that we use often in our modern vocabulary, but it is something that we can all understand. It simply means to be set apart as special or as being of great importance. In this case, the call is for the people of God to be set apart as belonging to God. Everything else about them is to be secondary. 
These are God's people, and that's what they live for. This is who they are. It is their relationship with God that would make them unique from every other person who existed in the world. It's not that God didn't love the rest of creation. They were all created in his image, but these were the people that, based on their obedience to God and their love for him and his love for them, they were set apart as unique, as being belonging to God. You know, I shared earlier that not everybody is cut out for what you do. A part of that is because each of you is uniquely made. There's nobody that's exactly like you. Several of you have had the opportunity to meet my twin brother this week. I, I have a, an identical twin brother. He was here this week, and I think there's a picture of us together. Do you think that we look just a little bit alike? Uh, actually, when I sent this to Derek, his first response is, why do you want a picture of you standing in front of the mirror? <laughs> the reality is we look very much alike, and there are certainly characteristics that are almost identical between the two of us. But the reality is we're also very different people. I know some of you who saw him this week, you're thinking, you're right, he has muscles. And he does. You're right. I, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, he called me, I guess it was uh, two Thanksgivings ago, to just announce to me, hey, Mike, I just wanted you to know I just bench pressed 415 pounds. Awesome. I hung up the phone. I don't want to talk to him anymore. Uh, there are some things that are very unique. Our personalities are very different. Actually, he was joking about uh, how much you would not enjoy if you had him come up and preach. And some of you are thinking, so it's like when you do it, Pastor Mike. The reality is we're very different people because God never creates two people identically the same. God has designed us to be different. We have two little kids that run around in our neighborhood and they're almost the exact same age. They're just a few days apart. And I'm telling you, I've never seen two kids that are more different. Even though they're at that stage where you would think that their characteristics aren't really developed. Yes, it is. You've got one that is very docile. He will sit in your lap all day and just enjoy the fact that you're loving on him. The other one, you can't even get him to sit still for nothing. And it's not that he's learned it from somebody else. It's simply the way God made him. Well, every one of us, every one of us is unique from every other person. We are unique from the people sitting beside us, but even more than that, we are unique from the world around us. You are uniquely made. You were created for a specific reason, and God desires that you be set apart. But what is it that sets us apart? Obviously, we're called to consecrate ourselves. I'm, going to read, I'm not going to read to you the entirety of Galatians 5, but I would suggest that in that passage, there are at least three things that very clearly set us apart as being children of God. I want to share those with you. First, you are set apart by grace. Every one of us, we can be really good people. The Apostle Paul is addressing the New Testament believers and he's pointing out that an awful lot of them are getting all twisted up somewhere along the way. They've been working so hard to be people who are good enough. They're trying to keep their list of do's and don'ts. And somewhere along the way, they forgot that it wasn't keeping that list of do's and don'ts that set them apart in the first place. It was God's grace. Every one of us has 
been blessed by God's grace. You say, well, not all of us are children of God. We've not all repented of our sins. And I suggest to you that's probably true, but God's grace has been extended to you in many, many ways. There have been times that you didn't even realize God was working on your behalf, but he was. There have been times you wake up in the morning and you you have no idea the things God is keeping you from, the opportunities he places in front of you, uh, the breath that you take is God's grace, the abilities that you have is the result of God's grace, the fact that you live in this nation is a part of God's grace, Uh, the blessings that you experience every single day, whether you realize it or not, God's grace has been extended to you for a very long time. And even before we were to a point of repentance, God's grace was being extended to us, again, probably without us even recognizing it. Galatians 5.4 says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The suggestion here is at some point you knew that it was grace that gave you life. You knew that it was grace that gave you the ability to do what you do. You knew that it was grace that saved you from your sins. But now you're so focused on keeping your do's and don'ts that you no longer realize that God's the one who made this possible. That's grace. You know what grace is? Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. So you know you got a punishment that's coming. And God says, I'm going to withhold that punishment. Grace is similar to it, but almost the opposite of it. Grace is when God gives you something that you did not deserve. Remember, mercy was he withholds something that you do deserve. Grace is when he gives you something that you didn't deserve. All of us were slaves in our sin, yet God reached into our lives and gave us the opportunity to be forgiven. That is grace. That's an incredible act of love that God gives to us. These people had worked so hard to be good enough, but the reality is that they can never be good enough on their own. It is only by grace that they could be saved, and it's only by grace that we could be saved. It's only by accepting God's free offer of forgiveness that any of us can truly be set apart. So that has to be the first part of this. A little bit later in verse 6, we see a second thing that sets us apart. First, we saw grace. Verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The first part of that is simply saying that it's not about keeping your list of do's and don'ts. It's not about circumcision or uncircumcision. Those things, they're surface level things. That's not really what matters. Instead, what makes us unique from the rest of the world is seen in our faith expressing itself through love. Perhaps the best way to connect the dots here is And going back to the question of why you do what you do. Do you serve the community in search of power or public recognition? Do you serve the community in hopes of making a million dollars? Some of y'all are thinking, I don't know what police department or fire department you're working with, but that's not happening here. Or do you serve simply because you love the people in this community? And you want to make a difference in their lives. 
In my case, I serve as a pastor, a chaplain, or as a professor simply because I love the people that God has placed in my care. I serve because I believe that God has done an incredible work to bring me to where I am. And I believe that God wants to do that same incredible work for so many other people as well. I believe that when you come to realize how much God loves you, that it is almost impossible to keep that love to yourself. When you place your faith in him, when you begin to reflect his character, then you will become the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, bringing hope and help to those who need it. That's why I say thank you to all of the police officers, firefighters, and EMTs. Sometimes you may not even realize that you're doing it, but every time you go out there, you have the opportunity to help the people that God loves, that he created in his image. Thank you for your service. Thank you for loving on the same people that God loves as well. Well, there's one more thing that sets us apart, and this is one, uh, this one is perhaps the most important thing out of the three. It's the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Most of you will be familiar with the 12 disciples. They're the ones who followed Jesus around for three and a half years, and man, they had an incredible experience. They spent three and a half years walking around. Uh, they, they saw Jesus. They listened to him. They heard him teach. They themselves got to go out and heal different people on various occasions. Uh, they saw incredible things. You'd think about some of the things that they went through, man. How could anybody ever betray Jesus? Out of these 12 guys who followed Jesus around, it would turn out that one of them would outright betray him. He would deny, not only deny who Christ was, but he would turn him in to the authorities. Immediately upon that happening, all of the disciples begin to scatter. And when I say they scattered, it wasn't just, just kind of running in their own direction. They were running for fear of their lives. They were afraid that just as Jesus was being arrested and dealing with the consequences that are here, we might be next. One in particular is Peter. Peter is perhaps the most outspoken out of the group. Peter is the one who is very quick to open his mouth and usually it's his foot that ends up in there. Peter is the one who would declare openly that even if everyone else would turn their back on you, Jesus, I would not. And Jesus would respond to him and tell him that tonight, before the rooster even crows, you will deny me three times. Peter, we would look and say he was probably the best friend of Jesus. But here Jesus is telling him, you're going to betray me. That very same night, as Jesus has been arrested, the disciples have scattered, but they're curious. They want to know what's happening with Jesus. So not all together as one group, but individually they begin to sort of mingle within the crowd. They want to be able to see what's happening, to know. Peter is recognized. Someone says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? I think he's one of their disciples. Jesus, Peter's response, no way. I don't even know the guy. Three times throughout the night, this would take place. One time with just a little servant girl. And he is so fearful for his own life. He is a coward. 
He will not stand up for Jesus. Well, fast forward a little bit. We know what happens. Jesus would be crucified. Three days later, he would be resurrected. The disciples, in spite of the resurrection story, man, they are so confused. They are so afraid. Jesus has been resurrected. He's alive. There's reason to rejoice. And where do we find the disciples? Locked in a room for fear that they may be next. I don't know. It's hard to understand who they were and how an individual could spend three and a half years with Jesus, yet be so fearful about what's going to take place. Jesus had told them all these things were going to happen, and suddenly Jesus appears in their midst, locked in this room, and all of a sudden it clicks, and they begin to realize, hey, there's more to the story. Well, about 50 days will pass, and all the disciples have gathered together for a meal and suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up. We call this the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit shows up and tongues of fire come and rest upon each of the individuals who are present. We're told that the entire place is shaken. It causes such a roar that all of the other neighbors, all the people around suddenly start coming outside. They want to know what's taking place. Well, the party spills out onto the streets. And Peter, this coward who was afraid to even admit that he knew Jesus, he stood up in front of everybody and he preaches. You look at Acts chapter 2, almost all of it is Peter telling the people that you are the ones who took the life of Jesus. Being led by sinful men, you are the ones who are responsible for this. He preaches a passionate, convicting message to the people. And thousands of people respond and they seek God's forgiveness that day. They are forgiven, they are made whole, and the church is born. But to me, the question is, what happened? How did Peter go from being a coward, being a sissy, afraid of a little servant girl? How did he go from that to being the one who stands up and preaches on the day of Pentecost, not afraid of anything? And the only real difference that I can see is that was the day that the Holy Spirit showed up. Today, every one of us, the moment we respond to God's grace, the moment we surrender our, our lives to him, we are promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit chooses to dwell in us, and that empowers us to be a part of even the amazing things that God wants to do. As we look in Galatians 5, if I were to read the entire passage to you, Galatians 5, verses 26 through uh, 34, I believe it is, we see very clearly a, an expectation that is upon those who are filled with the Spirit of God. And this is where we get to the list of do's and don'ts. There's two lists that are actually present here. One is a list of, you don't need to do any of these things. You need to avoid all of these things. You should abstain from these things. And, you know, by the way, I encourage you, go back and read the entire Galatians chapter 5. It will be beneficial to you. You know the things you're not supposed to do. These are the things you're supposed to do, though. And you're given that list as well. Let me tell you, you cannot keep that list of do's and don'ts on your own. But with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, 
you can walk the victorious life. You can be changed. You don't have to be the same person you were. God has made it possible for you to walk in victory. What an incredible blessing it is to know that God uh, is faithful to provide for us in that way. Now remember the passage says, consecrate yourselves, be set apart as special. But it goes further, it says, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. In their case, they're about to enter into the promised land, the land that they had sought for 40 years. In our case, it is a promise that God longs to do even greater things in us, greater things than we could ever imagine. The Bible talks about a lot of amazing things. We read about blind being given sight, the deaf suddenly hearing, lepers having skin that was as pure and clean as that of a baby, the lame running and leaping. We read about thousands of people eating off of five loaves of bread and two fish, about Jesus calming a raging storm, and even God raising the dead back to life. But did you know that God still does amazing things? As I look around this room today, I see some of those amazing things. I see people who were once enslaved by drugs and alcohol, yet today they walk in freedom, no longer identified by those things. I see marriages that were nearly destroyed Couples that I have sat with, and I wondered if there was any way possible. I will confess, there's a couple here today, as I sat with them, my expectation was there was no way that God could ever restore that marriage. Yet God did. I see individuals here today who were homeless, without a place to call home, financially ruined because of poor choices, sometimes just because life got in the way, yet today God has a plan for them and provides for them. I see people who were sick, some of them because of injury or other things that have taken place beyond a doctor's ability to heal, yet today they have been healed. What is it that God desires to do in you? What is the amazing thing that God wants to do in your life? What is broken in your life that only God can fix? I was with a young man this week. We actually prayed for him this morning. His name is Josh and he is 27 years old and right now he is dealing with cancer that was not addressed as quickly as it probably needed to be. Um, and it has spread. Uh, the most recent report is there is a mass that is between his pancreas and his liver. And at this point, the doctors do not have much hope really at all. Uh, actually, the report was given to me today that he also has developed pneumonia, which doesn't make it any easier. But he and I were together. We were at AMED and just uh, talking and praying and one of the things that we got to talking about is the fact that we do serve a God who is able to heal. Now, there's no promise that God will work the way I ask God to work. Unfortunately, there have been many times that I have asked God to move in a mighty way and he hasn't chosen to work in that way. Many of you know that in 2002, I had a, a child that died. 
You think I didn't pray? Obviously, we prayed that God would work and that he would perform a miracle, but it just didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Now, God was faithful to me in that. But there's no promise that God's going to do everything that we ask him to do. But as I shared with Josh, while we may not know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will do things the way we want him to do things, what we do know is that he is absolutely the best hope that Josh has today. The doctors, we are grateful for them. We are grateful for the technology. We're grateful for the hospitals. We're grateful for the nurses. We're grateful for the human body. But when it comes down to it, the greatest hope that Josh has today is Jesus Christ. That is true for every single one of us. There may be things that you want God to do, and he may not do them your way, but I assure you, he is still a God who does amazing things. He is still a God who heals. He is still a God who forgives. He is still a God who can transform a life. He does amazing things. And I wonder if perhaps God wants to do amazing things in you and me. But more than that, he is interested in us becoming the people he wants us to be. I'm going to close with an illustration here and just kind of demonstrate how I believe God looks at things. And maybe I'm a little bit mistaken. I, I, I don't think I am, but that's the way I normally feel anyways. Um, Several years ago, I was uh, with a, an individual. His name is Rick. He's a great guy. I met him through someone else in my church up in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, actually, it was his aunt who had called me and said, Hey, Pastor, I've got a, a nephew who has some physical issues, and uh, it's pretty serious, and um, need you to come over and just kind of pray with him. And uh, part of the reason, they had actually given him just a couple weeks left to live. He was about to die. I've shared this with some of you before. Uh, I went over to see Rick. I never met he or his wife. Uh, super nice people. They were just just really down-to-earth kind of folks. And um, anyways, he, he said he almost canceled on me that morning because he just didn't feel well. So I, he didn't. And I sat in their living room and I talked with them about God's ability to heal. But then I shared with them that while I believe my God is able to heal, I believe that God is far more interested in the eternal than he is the temporary. I said, whether you live the next 30, 40, 50 years, that is still temporary. God is more concerned with the eternal. And I talked with Rick and Carol about the fact that they needed Jesus Christ above all else. So that regardless of whether God chose to act in the way that we were asking him to do it or not, they could have a peace in knowing that in eternity they would be in the presence of God and his body could be made whole after death. That day, both Rick and Carol gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, at that point, I'm on top of the world. God could do nothing else that day and I would have still been thrilled because I knew that there were two people who were destined for hell when I got there and they were going to heaven afterwards. But I told him I would also pray for God's healing. And we knelt together and I prayed for Rick and Carol. 
Rick had a disease called amyloidosis. Amyloidosis is not cancer, but it acts like cancer. Uh, in many ways, they treat it very much like cancer. And Rick was given basically a couple weeks to live. He physically couldn't even walk out to his mailbox. That's how weak he had become. We knelt and we prayed, and tell you the truth, I didn't see anything different. A little bit disappointed, honestly, at that point. Didn't see anything different. I said, you know what, I'm going to continue to pray, and I'm going to ask God to perform a miracle in you. I left. That afternoon, Rick looked at Carol, and he said, I think I want to go for a ride. Normally, he would sit in the passenger seat because he couldn't handle even driving he said, no, I feel like I could drive today. They drove three hours down to New Jersey. There was, there was a beach that they, they had a, a house at down at the beach, and um, they drove three hours down to the beach. They decided to stick around. He ends up out on the beach, walking around like there's nothing wrong with him. Comes back. This guy would live for three years after that. The amyloidosis did not take his life. The doctors would look at him. He would go to the doctor's appointments and they would say, Rick, we don't understand it. You were supposed to be dead. And every single time his response was the only one I can thank is Jesus Christ because he saved me from my sins and then he healed me from my disease. I believe God wants to do amazing things among you. But the thing he wants most and the thing he wants first is to know that your heart is right with Jesus Christ. I'm not guaranteeing you that if you choose to follow Christ, that you will be like Rick and your diseases, your sickness will suddenly disappear. Man, I hope that it does and I will pray that it does. What I do guarantee you is that if you will repent of your sins, he will make you right and he will be the best hope you could ever have. Consecrate yourself, set yourselves apart as belonging to God. For the Lord is going to do amazing things among you. Do you believe that he wants to do amazing things among you? I believe that he does. Is your heart ready for those amazing things. There's a verse that comes from 2 Corinthians 6 2. It says, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, At just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I believe today that God is calling us to be set apart as belonging to him and then look to see what the amazing things are he has in store. I'm going to ask if everyone would, if you just bow your heads for a moment. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful for you. We are grateful for your grace. We are grateful for the hope that you bring to us, knowing that you alone are able to meet the needs of our hearts. I know today just... Looking at the individuals who are here, there are some who are dealing with marriages that are still struggling, some that are dealing with cancer, some that don't have a whole lot of hope right now. But we know that the best place to turn is you. Lord, I pray right now that you would prepare us for the amazing things that you want to do.
I pray first of all for those who perhaps do not know you yet, who have not responded to your grace and they've not been consecrated, set apart as belonging to you. Lord, I pray right now that you would be faithful to your word where you tell us in, uh, in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to call out to you. I pray that you would help us to begin right now in a relationship with you. Forgive us where we have sinned. I pray that you would help us to, to walk as people who are, are new, or transformed, not the same people we were when we got here today. Help us to be people who we reflect your presence in our lives. The Spirit of God, as we confess, is coming to dwell within our hearts. I pray that you'd help us to live as those who have been redeemed, who the Spirit of God is a part of who we are. Lord, I pray right now that in this moment, Lord, that everyone in this room would truly be consecrated to you. Lord, I pray that you would do amazing things among us. I do pray for miracles to take place. I pray that those who have needs right now and they're beyond our capabilities to fix, I pray that right now you would move in our bodies. I pray that you would move in our circumstances and that you would move in such a mighty way that nobody could receive any credit except to say, we serve a God who is still on the throne today. Oh, we pray for miracles to happen. I pray that those who have cancer right now would be made whole. Those who are dealing with sickness right now would be made whole. I pray that relationships would be restored. I pray that where there are financial needs, you would provide. Lord, I pray that miracles would happen. I pray for our children. Our children who perhaps are in a situation where they ought not to be. And parents were brokenhearted. Lord, I pray that you would perform miracles in our children's lives. Lord, help us to be ready for the amazing work that you seek to do in us. Let it begin right now in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would move in us. Maybe we become your vessels to bring amazing to the world around us. With every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to ask real quick, Maybe today you are in that group that has not been consecrated, set apart as belonging to God. But man, you really want that hope. You want to know that you are ready for the move of God. And right now you just want to say, God, would you make things right between you and I today? Would you just raise your hand real quick? I want to pray specifically for you. I won't call you by name, but I want to pray for you. Is there anyone who wants to raise their hand for that? Thank you. Thank you. Father, as we come before you, Lord, for the two individuals who just raised their hands, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come right now. I pray that by the blood of your Son, their sins would be forgiven and that your Holy Spirit would now come and dwell within their hearts. And that from this moment forward, they would walk as those who have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. Move in a mighty way through them. I pray for the brokenness that is present in their lives. I pray that from this moment forward, 
Lord, that they would be ready for you to move to fix the brokenness that's there. We give you praise for what you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a, um, a song that the, the worship team is going to do. And then we're going to transform this room immediately after that into uh, a dining hall, basically. We've got some food that, uh, that will serve out of the dining room over there. And then people can hang out and eat. We're also going to turn on the inflatables and we're going to open up the dunk tank. And Chief Dixon has volunteered to be our first victim in the dunk tank. So uh, we're going to have a great time with it. And there'll be some others that will be getting in there as well. Um, I want to encourage you, uh, just love on the people who are here today. Let them know how much you appreciate uh, their participation in the community, the fact that they love on us all the time. Take advantage of the opportunity while we have it today. Actually, let me go ahead and pray for our food now, and then you can just dismiss them if that's all right. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to eat, to fellowship, and just to enjoy each other's company. I pray that as we join together in a meal that you would be honored. I pray that this food would be nothing more than an opportunity for us to love on each other as the body of Christ is supposed to love on each other. Help us to use this meal today as an opportunity to remember what you did for us. You allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed. Use these different types of foods as a reminder for us. Jesus took bread and wine and did the same thing. And he said, this is my body that is broken. This is my blood that was shed. Lord, help us today as we eat to just be grateful for the way you've loved on us. Now let us love on each other. Bless this food to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Daily. Stand with us.